Faith always means obedience. Faith means movement, action. So it's not good enough to know that God spoke to you. It's not good enough just for your heart to be stirred. You have to act on what God told you to do. You have to act on, on where he's placed you. That is faith. Well, it's kind of like sitting in a car at a stoplight. The light turns green, but you continue to sit there. You totally believe that the light turned green, but you don't accelerate and go. You have to act on what you believe. Stay with us as we learn why we need to fully activate our faith in God. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's been a pastor, seminary professor, conference speaker, and author. His books include For a Time We Cannot See, A Passionate Commitment, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, and Unshaken. Today, Crawford heads the Christian leadership mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. The messages we feature each week here on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Today, we'll hear the second half of Crawford's message titled Faith. It's part of our current series looking at what Crawford calls the big rocks that we need to stand firmly upon. We are looking at three incredible statements that the writer of Hebrews makes in verses 1 through 6 in chapter 11. Crawford began to explain the first statement last week, which says, Faith is the confident reality of the future. And we'll pick it up right there. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What, what, is, he, what, is, he, what is he saying here? What is he saying here? Well, this ultimate summary uh, illustration tells us that faith makes visible what others can't see, but it says something more. What he's pointing to is the unquestioned power of God. It's like he's saying, do you know who you're placing your faith in? Do you know that? Do you, do you really understand who you're placing your faith in? Do you get that? You're placing your faith in the one who created the universe, created this world. Now I'm going to use a 10 cent theological term, ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. And by the way, by the way, he did not have to consult with anybody. He did not have to come up with various proposals as to how this could be done. He spoke it into existence. It's almost as if he says, now tell me your, your difficulty in believing that person. Tell, tell me why you would not believe him. Tell me why you would not place your faith in him. Help me understand why you would not lay it all down for him. You see, what you believe in God for is not about the veracity of yourself or even the celebration of the, the depth of faith that you have. It's about the glory of our great God who came through. It's about stories that you can pass on to future generations as to how he met you in the darkness and he gave you a vision and you believed him for it and how God, not you, how God, not you, how God saw you through. 
That's what faith is all about. It's anchored in Him and His glory and His ability about the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who comes through every single time. So, in the words of Dr. J. Oswald Sanders, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Why? Not because of his greatness, because he has a big vision of God. She has a big vision of God. And in so doing, it enables us to, in some, way, some degree, understand what God does and to see what others cannot, cannot see. Now, there's a second statement that he makes here. Number two, faith attracts God's approval. Whenever you're reading a section of Scripture and a word is used repeatedly, pay attention to that. The word commend, commend is used throughout chapter 11. Throughout chapter 11. Uh, verse 2, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 39. And it is a statement that God drops on people who believe him, people who trusted him, people who exercise faith in the context of gap and adversity. Verse 2, for example, it says, for by it the people of old received their commendation. That's sort of a thesis statement of the rest of chapter 11 because he gives you all these biographical snapshots. Why did he give you these snapshots? To demonstrate how these people were approved by God. And by the way, the word translated commend is, is a Greek word. We get the English transliteration martyr from it. It's martyreo, martyreo, martyreo. And martyr is a great, great word. A martyr is a witness to the power of God to sustain them through adversity. The word literally means, you could have translated it, it means to witness or to speak well of. Now notice, in the text throughout Hebrews 11, God is the one who witnesses on behalf of those who exercise faith. He's the one who speaks well of those who exercise faith. He commends him. You want to know, it's as if he says, you want to know what I'm proud of? What do I know what I'm proud of? Uh, Abraham, come here. Uh, uh, yeah, Rahab, come over here. Uh, David, come here. This is what I'm proud of. He commends them because they believe God. He doesn't commend them because they're all that gifted. He doesn't commend them because they've got a lot of talent. He doesn't come in because they've got great visibility. He doesn't come in because they're charismatic personalities. He commends them because of their faith, because they live God-dependent lives. And God-dependence always brings the commendation of heaven. And I would add to this, I would add to this, this commendation is more than just, you know, uh, <laughs> let's clean out my office and I got, I got a lot of, you know, you've been around as long as I do. You get a lot of pieces of paper that's put in the frames and stuff. People say a few nice things about you, you know. Uh, but this ain't that kind of commendation. He's not, talking about, he's not talking about something that you put in a frame and on your wall. They really thought I did a good job. That's not the commendation he's talking about. With God's commendation and approval comes his resources and blessings. They're commended in this regard. 
that God gave God gave them resources and blessing to do the very thing that they were believing him for. That's what it means to be commended by God. They didn't just get some certificate on attaboy. They experienced the manifest presence of God, the deliverance of God, the hand and favor and touch of God during their moment in history. Why? Because they believed him. And God said, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Now, verses 4 through 40. Um, you see all these biographical snapshots, and I'm not going, going to go into all of that. I've got to land a plane here soon. But what you'll notice in these biographical snapshots is that all of these biographies, all of these wonderful men and women of God who believed them during their moment in history, during their time of gap and adversity, whatever it might have been, all of them have these four elements in common. These four elements in common. It's amazing. The first one is that God spoke through his word. Now, I have to explain that, you know, the canon of Scripture was not completed, so some of what God said was his word, meaning he spoke directly to them. Abraham, he spoke directly to him. But needless to say, God spoke, number one, through his word. So the point that I want you to grab from that is that there was objective authority and not personal speculation. They did not come up with something for God to do. God spoke directly to them through his word. Secondly, they were stirred, meaning that there was a holy discomfort. There was something that they felt that they needed to do. They had to respond. When God speaks, he forces a response. Did you hear what I just said? When God speaks, he forces a response. There's something I have to do. I have to do. Thirdly, they all obeyed. Faith in the Bible is always a verb, even when it's a noun. You, you, don't, you, you don't have faith and not do something. That's not faith. Faith always means obedience. Faith means movement. Faith means action. So it's not good enough to know that God spoke to you. It's not good enough just for your heart to be stirred. You have to act on what God told you to do. You have to act on, on where he's placed you. That is faith. And the fourth thing <laughs> that took place, and I've already said this, is that God, number four, bragged about them. They received his commendation. He bragged about them. Think about this. God himself became their character witness. That takes my breath away. Here you have this gap in your life and you don't know what to do. You're in this circumstance, this situation. You are scared to death, but you have chosen not, not to embrace fear, but to embrace faith even though you're shaking and you're believing God and you're moving forward. And God says, I'm proud of him. Do you see my child? Do you see David? Do you see Abraham? That's what I'm looking for. And some of us never received that level of God affirmation. I hate to say it because we're practical atheists. God says, let go. I told you to do this. 
Are you going to do it, Crawford? Are you going to do it? I didn't ask you to write a blog about it. I didn't ask you to talk about what you intend to do. I told you to do it. Are you going to do it? Some of you here, God is speaking to you, and you've experienced that level of stirring in your heart. And you know he's speaking to you, but you're scared. And you're allowing fear to cause you to rationalize and grab some Bible verses out of context, namely from the book of Proverbs, to wash away your obedience or to justify your immobility. What I would ask you to go home today, get on your knees, open Hebrews 11, and read the entire chapter. Finally, faith is evidence the third statement, faith is evidence of our intimacy with God. Faith is evidence of our intimacy with God. <laughs> you see, you, you can't... Faith was never meant to be an a la carte discipline in the Christian life. You know what I mean? Uh, faith is the expression of wanting to draw close to God. Thus he says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, he says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Listen, two critical words, believe, rewards. Believe, rewards. Believe rewards. Now let me, let me just say this about, I believe in context when he says, and whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists. I don't think primarily he's just purely talking about belief in the esoteric, intellectual, concrete way. Meaning, meaning that I believe, you know, and, and the argument of order and design and the ontological argument, the teleological arguments for the existence of God and all these other things. Uh, yeah, there is an irrational intellectual side there. But as you read this and you see what he extrapolates throughout the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, what he's not, he's not talking about just esoteric beliefs. But he's talking about you, you believe in a sense that you commit yourself to him. I believe in my heart that God is omnipotent. I believe in my heart that he's omnipresent. I believe in my heart that he's all-knowing. I believe in my heart that he is holy. I believe in my heart that he is righteous. I believe in my heart that he is just. I believe that. I believe that. That's what he's saying there. You, you have to believe that God is alive. You believe that he exists. He's living. And if you come to him, you're not coming to an idol. You're not coming to a string of beads. You're not coming to a representation. You're coming to the living God of the universe who moves. So he said, if you're going to come to me, if you're going to come to me, you've got to believe that I am here that I exist, and that he rewards those who seek him. Some commentators want to put that out in the future, and I do think that there is perhaps an eschatological or future shadow of reference that he talks about. Yes, he does reward that, but I would also talk about 
sometimes the explanation of a passage is found in the context itself. I would also, I also think that as you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, he's talking about the reward of their faith right now. And sometimes it's not right now because the last paragraph says that there's a group of people that he trusts with suffering, that the future generation would receive what they did not receive. So it's both the here and not yet. But the point is this. God is saying, if you're going to draw near to me, you're going to have an intimate relationship with me, you can't even get close to me if you don't believe me. Your walk and my walk with God is inauthentic if it does not increase our faith. I would argue, if we exist to glorify God, the practical ways in which God is glorified is by me believing him in the midst of the challenges and gaps that I experience in life. Everything else is just theoretical. You can go to every Bible study you want to. You, you, you can listen to every podcast and read every Christian book in the world you want to. If your faith is not being strengthened, then your walk with God is inauthentic. I began by saying there's nothing in the Christian life that advances apart from exercising faith. It's true. Karen and I, um, particularly this old boy, over this past year or so, and knowing that my time is wrapping up here, I've been taking little trips mentally down memory lane. And uh, not just the 15 and a half years that we've been here at Fellowship, but uh, just about 50 years that Karen and I have been married, our kids, but even going back before that. And one of the things the Lord has been delightfully reminding me of, and I've shed a few joyous tears over, and that is that he has always, always, always provided for us. He's reminded me that there is never a time in my life that he has not come through. In fact, with the exception of some rare occasions, and Karen can attest to this, with the exception of a few rare occasions, we have never had in advance the resources that we thought we needed to do what God called us to do. He has always kept us on a short leash. With us, what he has done is that, uh, no, Crawford, I'm not going to provide first. You obey me first, and then I will provide. You act first, and then I'll provide. And I got to tell you, I've seen this in our lives countless times. That's the way I went to college. All of our kids graduated from college. I didn't know, we didn't know where we we're going to get the resources from. We didn't know how that was going to work out. College and grad school. Nobody owes a dime. God provides. I could tell you story after story after story after story after story of Crawford, Crawford, if you obey me, if you obey me, I'll give you what you need. My goodness, this auditorium here, shortly after I came, this used to be a, you know, some of you old timers here, this was like a gym, cafeteria, Sunday school assembly place. 
And, you know, we put in the balcony here. Then, then with the student ministries building. Listen, in your life, there will always be gaps that God will create and there will always be adversity. And the gaps and adversity, I say this, are gifts from our great God. They're gifts, and you will not grow. You will not grow if you keep running from the gaps or figuring out an alternative way to get your needs met. Having said all that, let me just give you a couple of suggestions for them. One is this. Take time to hear from the Lord. The problem with most of us is that we're not spending enough time listening to God. And God is speaking, as you've heard me say so often here, God is speaking more than we are listening. Take time to listen to the Lord. Get alone with him. Let him speak to your heart. Secondly, resist the temptation to edit what God says. Don't let fear reduce your faith. God is the one who knows how to stretch our faith. So what he says, don't edit it. Don't reduce it down. Resist that temptation. Number three, stare down your fears. Face them. I didn't say ignore them. I didn't say deny them. But face them. Stare them down. Look at, see, God is greater than those fears. And then the final one I would suggest to all of us is this. Don't play it safe. Don't play it safe. Keep in mind, your goal is not to be a reasonable Christian. Your goal is to be an obedient follower of Christ. But often, more often than you might think, faith can be unreasonable. And remember that your goal is not to be a reasonable Christian, but an obedient follower of Jesus. The beginning of this journey, if you're not a follower of Christ, begins by saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. That's where the journey begins. God has a plan for each one of us. And that plan is meant to be an avenue by and through which God shines during our moment in history. But he can't do it, or he won't do it, if we won't believe him. Faith is the confident reality of the future. Faith attracts God's approval, and faith is evidence of our intimacy with God. The three incredible statements made by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11. Our speaker was Crawford Loritz with his weekly message here on Living a Legacy. Next week, a look at faithfulness. If you weren't able to join us for the beginning of today's program, you can hear the entire message on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, you can always download these messages for free. Look for the MP3 link on the website, livingalegacy.org. Thanks for taking the time to let us know how these weekly messages are impacting you. A short email would be very helpful. And let us know if you listen online or by radio. Here's our address, legacy at moody.edu, legacy at moody.edu. And thanks so much. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for studying with us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.